What is up, guys and gals? Welcome to the Boundless Gamers Podcast, where two friends get together each and every week to talk about the topic of the week, as well as hit on some of the week's most interesting news to us. You can find us on the big three social media outlets, at Boundless Gamers on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. We welcome any and all feedback and criticism, and we also just generally like hearing from you guys. If you guys find a cool story online you'd like us to talk about, shoot it our way. We'll take all kinds of free content. We'll be posting each and every Thursday, or at least we will try to, because sometimes, well, life finds a way and things don't always go as planned. My name is Indy, and I'll be your host this week, and with me is Mike. How are you, Mike? I'm doing great, and Indy, you nailed that intro. That is the most exciting intro we've ever had on this show. Me and Jacques <laughs> would be like half asleep doing it, but you just put a nice little jolt of energy in me. That, that's, that's great. Keep it up. I appreciate that. I was definitely trying to bring as much energy to it as I could at the very beginning. Yeah, and you got the social media shit right out of the way, just I instantly. did, man. I'm yeah. like, I'm, we're yeah. knocking out everything, like, right at the very beginning so we can get right to the interesting stuff, because uh, with that bye week, a lot of stuff has happened in the world of gaming. Oh, yeah, shit. A lot. Too much. Yeah, definitely too much for us to cover in one podcast, where we're going to try and hit on some of the biggest things first. Um, but first, uh, in the fact that there was a bye week, I'm sure, I know I've gone through plenty of video games, uh, in the past two weeks, Mike, I'm sure you have as well. As a matter of fact, you've texted me about some of them, so I'm <laughs> going to let you kick off the section of what we've been playing. Sure. All right. Let's see. What have I been playing? I think I forgot already. Let me think about it. <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't even know why I'm looking at my notes for that. I, sh I should know that at, like immediately. <laughs> my first game is a PS3 game. That's right. I went back to the PS3 library. I was looking through it. And I'm like, all right, there's got to be a game here, a first-party game, like a Sony exclusive I haven't played yet. So I looked around, and I noticed Starhawk. I don't know if you know this game. I do. I'm surprised you're playing it. Oh, okay. Did you, did you play it? I didn't, but it was on my list of games to play. Well, take it off that list. All right, let me let me set the stage for you, Andy. It's a third-person shooter, and it's a western, so it's a sci-fi western. I, I should have should have started with that. It's a sci-fi western, and the story is about two factions on some random ass planet just fighting over a new resource. One of them is addicted to it; they actually infuse themselves with it. They glow, and they're addicts basically. And the other hmm. side. Is just trying to use it for normal shit and, you know, everyday life. Boring-ass story. Terrible acting. <laughs> the gameplay sort of feels like Red Faction Guerrilla. Okay. Plays like that, and the shooting mechanics is a little on the eh side. Even for 2012 standards, it's not that great. Oh, wow. Now, this is where it gets really weird. It's not just a third-person shooter. It's also a tower defense game where you build bases and all that crazy shit. So you do that, and then it transitions into, like, space combat, where it feels like Star Wars, Starfighter, or Star Fox. And I'm like, okay, interesting. And then it tries to copy Halo a little bit with its vehicle combat. I mean, so far, this sounds awesome. It does sound awesome, but there's just too much shit going on in it. It's there's too many cooks in the kitchen there. They had gotcha. two major developers working on this. Uh, oh shit. I don't remember the, the main developer's name that 
that was uh, spearheading the project, but they needed help from Santa Monica Studio to finish the game. The game sort of has an identity crisis. It just doesn't know what it wants to be. I mean, it, it sounds like you got a bunch of sci-fi nerds in the room that all like gravitate towards one type of sci-fi subgenre, and there's like, let's put all of our ideas in the game. That's exactly what it feels like, in a nutshell. That's it. It's like, hey, how about we do this? No, um, no, we know what. Yeah, we'll do that. But, but what if we threw this in there? And uh, and another guy jumps in. Well, I got this idea. Yeah, let's let's just all mm. throw that shit in the game. Yeah, it's just like full on feature overload. Yeah, exactly. But I beat it. It's very short, four to five hours. So if you feel like experimenting with a new PS3 game and you haven't played that, I guess check it out. But there's so many other games you could be playing. There was a multiplayer um, option for the game, but of course all the servers are gone now. So I can't test that out. Maybe it was fun. I don't know. So what made you go back to it? I just want to play all the first party games I missed out on. Okay, that's fair enough. That's my goal with the PlayStation 3, the 4, and the 5. Like, I got to play all the first parties. And if there's any I missed, I'll fix that down the line. Like, I'll get around to it at some point. And that was one of them. So I was like, all right, let me just do it. Not much else I can say about the game. It's just blah. Other than that, I beat Marvel's Guardians of the Galaxy. This is what I was excited to hear about. Um... How am I going to break this down? All right. You know how I feel with Knights of the Old Republic, Indy? The gameplay? I know you don't particularly care for the combat. No. I, I never liked the combat in Knights of the Old Republic. And it's one of my favorite games of all time. Both of them. But I hate the combat. Absolutely hate it. Now, with Marvel's Guardians of the Galaxy, I don't like the combat at all. I, I think it's... Very underwhelming. It's acceptable at best. But they nail the Guardians of the Galaxy universe. The characters okay. are awesome. The banter back and forth between them is amazing. I think the only weak spot in that department is Star-Lord, Peter Quill. It's a little disappointing because the rest of the Guardians are firing on all cylinders. Great voice acting, character design, all that. The guy doing Peter Quill is just... It doesn't feel like he's trying. Now, could that be a case just because Chris Pratt killed the role no. so well? No. Two of the other Guardians are not like the movie characters. So, it's not that. Now, I'm not saying the Star-Lord actor is complete shit. There's moments in the game where he is really good. Like, there's a few serious scenes where okay. he does a great job in the acting department. But when he acts like regular Star-Lord goofing off and all that, I don't know. It just seems off to me. He doesn't seem funny at all. It feels very forced. But other than that, I love the characters. I love Mantis. Gamora's great. Uh, Drax, hilarious. Groot is Groot. I don't need to go into Groot. Y right. You know, I am Groot. I am Groot. Okay, the guy nailed it. That's, <laughs> that's good. Rocket is very similar to the movie version. I'll say that. So, if you love the movie Rocket, you're going to love you love him here. This game is pretty long. It's like 15 to 20 hours. Oh, wow. I recommend this game if you're a huge Guardians of the Galaxy fan because the fan service is there. I love the planets. I love all the characters in it. 
all the Guardians lore is rich in this game. But if you're going into the game thinking you're going to get this great combat experience, I, I don't think it's there. I think the Avengers game that came out a while back, that has better combat. You only play as Star-Lord in this game. You don't play as the other Guardians. You just tell them to do things every once in a while. Like, they're involved in the fight. You just tell them to do a power or do this or do that. That almost feels like a missed opportunity. I agree. But if they make a sequel, they better let you play as all the Guardians. I don't want to just be Peter. Gotcha. Now, Peter feels weird. Like, he has this odd jump in the game where it feels like he has weights on his ankles. He feels Hmm. like he's weighed down too much. He doesn't feel that fast. When you do activate his, like, uh, boot thrusters and all that, it's not impressive. The game forces you to stay on the ground. You can't go flying around as Peter with his boots. No, none of that. There's, like, one power-up you can do that lets him float off the ground for a little while, but that's it. Now, the story's great, and that's important, because if you're playing a 15-hour game, you better have a good story. Especially if uh, the combat isn't there. Now, some of the critics say that the combat is really good. Others say it's eh, acceptable. It's fine. Bit of a mixed reaction there. But here's the thing, Indy. If somebody came up to you and they asked you, how's the combat in that game? And you told them, well, it's acceptable. (laughs) You don't want to hear that. Imagine saying that about the Arkham games or the Spider-Man Insomniac games. Oh, no, it's acceptable. It really does depend on the type of game that they're talking about, though. Like, if you come to me and you tell me a game like um, Detroit Become Human, for example, where they say the combat's acceptable, I'm going to take that and be like, okay, cool. It means that there aren't going to be any parts of that game that are just unplayable or just are going to bog down the experience where I'm not going to enjoy it, because I know that's more centered around the story. Exactly. But from what I've seen about this game, it doesn't seem like it's, like, one of those story-centric type of games that's meant to be enjoyed for gameplay, story, acting, everything. Yeah, you can get away with that in Telltale games or, like, Detroit Become right. Human, the Supermassive games, like Until Dawn and the Dark Pictures Anthology games. Yeah, that's fine. It's all about the story. The gameplay just has to be acceptable, okay, it's fine. I'm not here for that. Right. But with the Guardians, there's a lot of combat. I expect more from it. Well, I mean, on Metacritic, I I think I saw recently it was getting... It was mid-70s is what I think it's dropped to after it's been out for a little while. On the PS5, it still has an 81, I think. Okay. And I agree with that score. Because everything else in the game carries it. Nice. Sure, the gameplay's weak, but the story and the characters and all that other shit is firing on all cylinders. It doesn't matter. So at the end of the day, it's a great game. Definitely pick it up. I even think it's worth the full price. That was going to be my next question. Yeah, it's worth it. I don't think it's game of the year or anything, because some critics are saying that it's not that good. But for a superhero game... You're going to have a good time with it. That's actually a pretty big compliment coming from you to say it's worth full price. Yeah. I just love the banther in this game. I love Gamora and Rex. Not Rex. That's a Mass Effect. (laughs) I love Gamora and Drax talking to each other. You get these great conversations throughout the game. They're always talking to each other. 
I can't even imagine how many lines they had to record for this game. That's awesome. They're always going back and forth. You just walk around your ship and there's conversations popping off like left and right. And they're long conversations. It's it's great. That's really good to hear. That's one thing that I wish Mass Effect had just a little bit more of. Because when you have these natural conversations with the crewmates, it does make it feel like it's a living, breathing team. So I'm glad to hear that that's there. Oh, and I got one more thing to say. What you got? Kick-ass soundtrack. Oh, I would hope so. I'm not going to spoil the the songs in it because that's part of the fun. You're like, oh, that song's in this and that song's in this. (laughs) I will say this, though. Billy Idol's Moni Moni is in this game. Oh, wow. (laughs) When they played that, I'm just like, oh, oh, yes. I I know this soundtrack's going to be great. I will definitely be adding that to the list. Now, my last game is, and it's funny, I just mentioned this. It's a dark pictures anthology game. It's the most recent one, House of Ashes. I was not so, expecting... Uh, go ahead. I was going to say, um, I'm actually very curious to hear what you're about to say, because I have not played any of these. Ooh. I just downloaded the one on Game Pass two days ago, and it's in my queue to go through. Man of Madon, right? That's the one? Yes. Okay. Yeah, that one's all right. It's not bad. But this one, Indy? Oh, boy. Am I going to sell you on this? Take the Predator franchise... Okay. The Alien franchise. And what's that movie called? Uh, oh, shit. I forgot the I name. I believe of it's it. called AVP. No, 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 no. There's something else. The, the, the Descent. Have you seen that movie? I have not. Okay. Have you seen The Cave? No. That's a really bad movie. <laughs> Don't watch that. It's terrible. <laughs> okay. That's good. That's good. So you can go in fresh. I absolutely love this story in this game. Hmm. Jacques was right. He's like, y'all, you're going to love this. So I was like, all right, well, let me play it. And I wasn't expecting to play this like anytime soon. Um, My friend Jason, the other night, he sends me a message. We game share together. We uh, we have our accounts linked. He's like, yeah, I have this much in my account. Hey, you want to toss me? uh, I don't don't remember what it was, like 10 or 15 bucks to put towards the game. I'm like, yeah, sure. Why not? And it's a $30 game, so it's not breaking the bank. Right. I was like, okay, um, do I want to play this now, right before we record the new show, or do I want to wait? I was like, all right, let me play 30 minutes of it. And that didn't happen. Yeah, I played it for like two, three hours straight, and then this morning I finished it off, because it's only a five, six hour game, it's short. The story caught me off guard, I didn't think it was going to be this good. I actually think this could be my favorite story in a video game this year. Oh, wow. I know you're going to love this. I know you're going to love this one. Man of Madon, it's cool. Uh, the second one that came out was it called Little Hope. Not bad. This one, best story in a super massive game. Not their best game. I still think it's Until Dawn. But story-wise, it's this one. I can't wait. Uh, I can't say anything about it. It's hard to talk about these kind of games <laughs> when it's all when it's all focused on the story. Right. But it's about a military unit in Iraq in 2003. And they're looking for chemical weapons that uh, Saddam Hussein is hiding somewhere. And I'm just going to leave it at that. Something happens that completely catches them off guard. Something they're not trained for. 
I did see a clip of it um, pop up on my TikTok. They were walking into a cave and like somebody goes missing and the guy just freaks out and like turns the game off. And I remember looking at it being like, I want to try this. Great horror game. This could be, I'm, I'm going to say it. This could be my game of the year. It could be my personal favorite game of the year. Oh, wow. So let me ask you this then. Do I need to put it ahead of my queue um, above Alan Wake? Because you know I've started it. Yes. Damn. Because this story is more up your alley. And the good thing about these games is you can play it with a, a friend. Really? I think you can play these games locally. I'm not sure, but I know you can play them online with somebody. And it definitely enhances the experience. There's one thing I got to tell you, Indy. Yeah. Keep your guys alive. Keep them all alive if you can. Try your best because you're going to get one hell of an ending. So does it have like multiple endings depending on yes, how a you... Lot. Oh, God. A lot. Yeah. So there could be an ending you get and you're like, well, that sucked. <laughs> so, <laughs> that, um, you know what's funny? I went through the entire game in the perfect order because I, I looked I looked it up uh, afterwards I was like okay did I pick the right choices for the best ending and the best scenes in this I hit them all apparently every single one and there's a lot of choices in this there's a lot of places you can mess up that can completely derail and change major portions of the story but I hit everything perfectly and I was shocked by that <laughs> and you like, didn't look anything up no it was just luck I just hit everything on the nose. Yeah. Well, well done. But yeah, that's it. That's all I'm playing. That's it. Okay. Um, I got nothing else. Well, um, you got me excited for Guardians and um, oh crap, I'm already drawing a blank on what it was called. House of Ashes. Thank you. I'm probably gonna go talk to Ash about that as soon as we get done recording and um, see if we can fit that into the budget because that does sound amazing. It is oh worth thirty dollars. This game's worth like fifty bucks, honestly, at least. But they're only charging 30 bucks for these uh, dark picture anthology games, and they come out every year. There's another one coming out next year, and that's going to end season one. And then after that, they have plans to make four more. Holy crap. Yeah, get ready. So you had a phenomenal week for gaming. You had Guardians and that game. Well, uh, for me, um, as you know, I sent you a picture yesterday. I started Alan Wake yesterday, uh, finished episode one. Nice. Right off the bat. I mean, just... I instantly got vibes of The Shining, um, as well as a few other um, horror novels like Dean Koontz. So I saw influences of all kinds of different writers. Um, I love the aesthetic of the game. I mean, I did try it back in the day on the Xbox 360, but I do not remember enough. So playing it this time around very much so felt like playing it for the first time. Me and Ash pretty much decided we're going to do, whenever I do play it, we're going to finish the episode, then we're going to call it quits and really try and treat it almost kind of like a Netflix series, because we try not to binge shows unless there's a ton of episodes to watch, just so we can kind of stretch it out and savor it. So we're going to do that with Alan Wake. Um, apart from that, going back through the Halo campaigns, getting excited for Infinite. Now, this one's probably going to surprise you. I actually started Force Unleashed 2 for the first time. Holy shit. What are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> well, I had a day where I came home from work, and I didn't really want to play anything that took itself too seriously. I didn't want to play anything online, and I was just looking through games that I had either gotten from 
Games with Gold or something like that, and I saw Force Unleashed 2 in my catalog, and I was like, you know what? I never played it. I'm going to download it. Started playing it. Ashley woke up because she was asleep next to me on the couch because it was like 11 o'clock at night when I started playing. She's like, what is this? I was like, this is God of War Star Wars. But not good. It was good. the best description. Well, I mean, I, I like it. Oh, I don't know, man. That, that, that game was so repetitive. Well, how much of it have you played? Um, I just... Let's see, what did I just do? Um, there was this weird droid inside the heart of the ship, and I beat that boss, and Juno got captured by Bova. Gotcha, okay. Yeah, that so game gets worse. Is... <laughs> so well, I mean, to be honest, maybe I'm enjoying because I went into it with super low expectations, because I didn't play it back in the day. It's only four hours. Yeah, it didn't seem like it was going to be very long. But I beat the first Force Unleashed. The ending was perfect. I didn't think it needed a sequel. And at the time, we all had a bad taste in our mouths about clones and how the solution to every Star Wars plot hole was, oh, it's a clone. Oh, it's a clone. So when I heard that he was a supposed clone of Starkiller, I was like, yeah, that's a storyline I don't want ruined. So to me, the game ended where the first one ended. Um, but going through the super low expectations, mainly just playing it for the gameplay, I'm having a blast with it. My biggest problem with that game is the repetitiveness. You're going to fight that one big droid a million times, one that shoots ice at you over and over. <laughs> that got old like on the third time. Like, again, is this just your um, your way to stretch the game out? No, oh, you got more coming. Get ready. Oh, I'm sure, because the first one wasn't much better. Like, you kept getting, like, there was some kind of special guard that was super buff and had a shield and everything. And I remember sitting there thinking, like, so I can rip a Star Destroyer out of the sky, but I can't throw this thing away like it's a fucking empty Coke can. But apart from that, um, I actually beat Metroid Dread the other night as well. Oh, nice, nice. Now I get to review a game. <laughs> <laughs> My thoughts about the game, honestly, are... The first, I would say the first two-thirds to three-fourths of the game are amazing. The bosses vary, the environments are awesome, You there's a power-up, it seems like very evenly spaced, like maybe every 30 minutes you're getting a new piece of equipment, and you you immediately knew, oh, okay, so that's what that was, I can go unlock that. So very much so, great Metroidvania formula, but the last third or last quarter of the game you could tell that they ran out of juice because instead of getting like a new creature to fight or a new boss to fight, it was a new variant of an enemy you've already fought two or three times that either was just faster or it had more health or it had a new mechanic that you had to use to beat it. But it was still just, you know, if you know this pattern, you've got it. Just uh, do this one that. extra step. Recycled enemies. Exactly. And then the final boss, you you weren't ever 100% sure if you were doing damage. And at this point, like the last hour, and I beat it just under nine hours, I was so fed up with fighting the same enemy over and over and over, just trying to get to the end, that when I got to the final boss, I just like, I paused it and I broke the one rule I was going to have. I looked up how to beat it. I looked at the patterns. Like, I just want to be done with it. Let me finish it. I like it. I loved it. I had my fun experience. At this point, I just want to beat it so I can say I, I beat it. So like I said, it took me just under nine hours to beat it. I don't want to say it's worth the full $60, but I'm also not going to say pirate the game either because Nintendo is never going to drop that price because that's just what they do with their first party games. So, I mean, I'll say this. If you're a Metroid fan, 
get it. You're going to love it. You're going to have a great time. Uh, fully recommend it. If you are not somebody who likes Metroid games or you're somebody... Now, if you're somebody who doesn't like Metroid games, don't buy it. Don't even touch it. The atmosphere is really cool, but it is Metroid at its core. If you're somebody who has never played Metroid before and you're looking to give it a try, I would recommend play Super Metroid um, first and see if you like that formula. If you do, then by all means buy it. But yeah, the $60 is a little hard to justify for a nine-hour experience. Yeah. So I would give it a solid 7 out of 10. Uh Uh-oh. Here they come. I can hear them, Indy. Here comes the Nintendo fans coming after you. <laughs> That's fine. I absorb all hate. I'm like a sponge, especially from Nintendo fanboys. And if that didn't uh, set them off, what I'm about to say next sure will, because the other games I've been playing are Mario 64 and Ocarina of Time on the expansion pack, which is also going to lead us straight into our inventory items. Mm. That being said, the first story of the week The expansion pack is here, and it's definitely got more than a few bugs. Um, And with a steep $50 entry fee that never went down, despite having a record high dislikes on the YouTube trailer for it. Oh, Nintendo, what the hell are you doing right now? Shit. Wow. I was about to say, I mean, Mike, you made a few solid points on your solo show um, a couple weeks ago. Any new thoughts since then? No, they're idiots. (laughs) <laughs> i don't understand what they're doing well, well i i do understand what they're doing they, they're trying to just gouge more money out of the nintendo community and unfortunately most of them eat it up i, I know there's a lot of dislikes on that youtube video but mm-hmm. that doesn't represent the entire nintendo community the casual no, audience doesn't. is gonna buy that shit we all know that and yeah if we keep feeding these guys like, yeah, give us more shit. Yeah, it's broken. Yeah, here's more money. It's not going to get better. It's just not. Yeah, and I mean, and, and some of the, the bugs, they range like from all over the place. Um, Ocarina of Time is suffering from a lot of input lag, um, which I did notice the first time I started playing on my TV. Now, I have also played it in handheld mode, and I will say it definitely helps with the latency when you do that. Um, Mario 64 also seem to have some latency issues. I only got maybe two or three stars on that game because I was just trying it out to see what I could see. I've also looked up some other glitches that people are having. One of the ones that was most surprising to me is that when you play Mario Kart 64, if you want to race your ghost, you have to have a memory card in the old controller. Well, apparently they didn't think that far ahead because when you try and race your ghost on the... um the expansion pack version, it tells you you need this pack. So you can't even access the full game for Mario Kart 64 on the expansion pack. Really? I didn't know that. Wow, just makes it worse. Yes, so for Ocarina of Time and Mario Kart, um, those are the main two I've given the most attention to from what I've looked up. You are going to be getting the worst possible version of that game. And I really can't get, by the way, sorry if you hear my dogs screaming and barking. My brother just got home. Oh, that's fine. Don't don't worry about it. But I remember seeing the screenshots on Twitter of Ocarina of Time on the N64, the Wii U, and on the Switch. And on the Wii and on the N64, there's a scene in the Water Temple where you have clear reflections in the water. You have a nice fog line. Like, it looks atmospheric. 
on the Switch, that is completely gone. It is like the worst possible version <laughs> it could be. Oh, Nintendo. I looked, I did a little bit more research on it. It seems like what they've done is they took the exact same emulator that they used for Super Mario 64 on All-Stars and have tried to apply that to all of their N64 games. But what you're getting is a subversion of all of those N64 titles, which is why they all mm. look just garbage because it's not a one-size-fits-all. Right. I mean, I hate to say it, but I remember, this is probably like four or five years ago, I had an N64 emulator on my Google Nexus, and it read better on a five-year-old Android than it does on my Switch. I did the same thing. I don't usually talk about it, but I got an emulator on my uh, Fire HD tablet. Ran great. Perfect. Yep. And see, the only reason I felt like I could justify it is because, to this day, I still have my N64, I still have the original cartridge, I had bought it on the Wii currency. I bought it on my Wii U. I've paid for the games three times. So I felt like I was, I felt safe and my conscience was clear downloading one ROM for a phone just to see if I could do it. It's perfectly legal to actually have a copy of a game if you own the original copy. You can make a copy. It's fine. Like that's perfectly legal. So I have no issues with somebody. Having a ROM of Super Mario 64 if they own it on a bunch of other shit. I don't care. Yeah. I mean, at that point, it's just preserving the game in another way. Yeah, exactly. Now, I will say this, and I feel like if Nintendo had taken the time to launch with more titles, this probably would have been received a little better. Because when you look at the Nintendo eShop on the Switch or on your DS, like buying Pokemon uh, Gold and Silver is like $5 per game. So if you do the math, let's just say we apply that to N64 games. Let's even bump it up to $10. $10 a game, you can easily get up to $50 easily. Um, but for that, you should probably have a few more titles that people are looking for. Um, and according to uh, NintendoEnthusiast.com, a Twitter user by the name of Mondo Mega posted a picture um, and a quote showing uh, initial data mining from the N64 app is somewhat fruitful Going by the game IDs, there are at least 38 N64 titles planned, end quote. They also mentioned that Mega Drive has at least 52 titles planned. I really feel like if they had released it with like Majora's Mask, you know, Mario Party 64, uh, Smash Brothers 64, you know, a few more of those classic titles that would have justified a $50 entry fee, that would have been received just a little bit better. Because... We've been paying like 60 bucks a year or like for me, I pay like 10 bucks a month or $15 a month to Xbox. By the time you get to a full year subscription, it's well above the $50 entry fee that we're playing for expansion pass. The only problem is right now, everybody has like their one or two games that they fondly remember for that they're going to want to get this nostalgia pack for. That's all it is, is a nostalgia pack because you're not getting an upgrade. You're getting it strictly for the nostalgia of playing these older games. You need to have more than just five or six different titles. doesn't matter if you have 32 planned or 38 planned. If you tell me Majora's Mask and Mario Party and some of these other games are coming, I don't know, next month or some kind of roadmap showing me when I'm getting these games, you might take some of the heat off. Nintendo is going to drip feed these like they did with the NES and SNES app where every three to five months, hey, here's another two, three games. See you later. <laughs> yep. We'll come back and give you three more eventually 
Yeah, I mean, Nintendo is like the most toxic consumer-based company in gaming that I have ever seen. And people give it to EA, but I mean, for all... At this point, seeing how these emulators run and these ROMs are running... I would not be surprised if they literally went online, downloaded somebody else's emulation, and just threw it out there for people to buy. Yeah, it's unfortunate. Nintendo is just stuck in their own ass. They don't want to change their old ways. And it's funny, you have Sony and Microsoft laying out the blueprint for you. This is how you do online. This is how yeah. you have a good online ecosystem. This is how you keep your community happy. And Nintendo's like, nah, we're going to do the opposite. Yeah, and, and I hate to say it, but I mean, as consumers, we are 100% guilty for allowing them to do that. I mean, I'm contributing to the problem for getting the expansion pack, but I also wanted to be able to speak on it for the show. Um, I wanted to be able to play some of these older games. So I'll admit to my own guilt on this, but as a consumer... If you don't, if you want to change, don't give them your money. It's as simple as that. Now, if you work in the industry or you have a podcast or whatever, we kind of have to play this shit. Yeah. If you want to talk about it, you you got to play it. But for everybody else out there, the casual buyer, please don't give them money. No. Put the money back in the wallet and uh, stick with the $20 membership. And well, that, that's even questionable, but just stick with that. I would say definitely do it for right now. Um, I don't think it's worth it with the current games on demand um, right now. <laughs> I'm honestly just hoping that Nintendo does lower the price and they do something special for early adopters. That's that's all I can hope for at this point. But um, all the Nintendo bashing aside, uh, that brings us into the number two item on our inventory list. And this is going to be more so on the Xbox side of news. Halo Infinite is coming out in December, which we already knew, but we got our, well, not our first big look. We've seen the most updated version of Halo Infinite so far, Um, and I love the fact that they've done a side-by-side of Carl the Brute from what we saw a couple years ago to how he looks now. This game looks amazing. I cannot fucking wait. I'm still excited for it. I know Jacques is a little nervous about the campaign now. Because they're really? showing more open areas, looking a little bit more like Far Cry in some ways. It doesn't really bother me too much, because right. I haven't really played the game yet. It could just be small little areas, like in Gears 5. Maybe not that small, but maybe right. there's just sections like that that are big, and then you get your regular Halo through the rest of the game. I, I don't think there's going to be any crazy shit like, Hey, Chief, we need you to climb that tower, get a lay of the land... The camera pans around like it's Assassin's Creed. No, I don't, I don't think they're going to do that. No. And, you know, since me and Ash have been going back through the Halos, we were doing Halo 1, and just that second mission where you land on Halo, and then you've got three different groups of Marines you have to rescue, and you kind of it kind of almost gives you the illusion of open world, because you can go get those Marines in any order. So playing that again just kind of gave me an idea as to what we could possibly expect from being on Zeta Halo on an open world. Because it does look open world, but I'm hoping it's going to be more so linear open world to where it is open, but you do have specific objectives to hit. Just like you said with Gears 5, um, when you're on that, um, I think it's like an ice skid or something like that. Yeah, that's it. 
it's it's linear, but you can go about doing things in whatever order you want to do, and I feel like that's more so what we're going to get. Here's another thing people need to keep in mind. It's fun driving the Warthog. I always love driving the war- Warthog, so give me a reason to drive it more. That's a very good point. Same for all the vehicles. That, I mean, that's part of what Halo's known for, though, is all their different vehicles. So, I mean, if you can give mm-hmm. me three different options to get from A to B... That's the Halo experience in a nutshell. Um, I also finished the book that takes place between Halo 5 and Infinite. Um, Uh-oh. <laughs> that awkward it, pause. It just it gets confusing <laughs> because when I'm looking at everything I'm seeing for Halo Infinite, I can't even begin to tell like how this leads into Infinite. It feels like there is a book missing because in mm. the book... Master Chief is with Blue Team the entire time. There's a lot of dialogue between them. They're going to Reach. They actually go back to Reach after it's been glassed to go back to Castle Base from Halo Reach because they need to retrieve something from Halsey's lab that's going to help them stop Cortana. You never find out what it is. It's like the briefcase from... um, Oh, God, what was that movie? A movie with a briefcase. Let's see. (laughs) (laughs) It was a Quentin Tarantino movie. Oh, oh, Pulp Fiction. Pulp Fiction. Thank you very much. You yes, it's like the briefcase from Pulp Fiction. You know it's important, but you never find out what it is. So the book ends, and yeah, you have no idea what it is they obtained. You just know it's supposed to stop Cortana, and then you get this trailer, and then Chief's floating in space. So there's a huge disconnect there. That aside... I'm really hoping that all this gets explained in one way, shape, or form, because I really want to know why Blue Team isn't involved, why all the Spartan 4s from um, Halo 5 Guardians are gone, because they exist in that book as well. Like, um, I think it was Osiris team that had Buck and Locke and everybody else in it. They're still there. So I have no idea what has transpired to send everything to hell the way that it has. The only thing that we know is that a faction of the Banished, known as the Keepers, go to the Ark, which is making a new Halo. That's all we know. So, I'm guessing that's going to be Zeta Halo that we're on in Halo Infinite. I hate to be the bearer of bad news, Indy. I I, I don't think they're going to explain anything. <laughs> I don't you're think they get, are either. You're going to get a little here and a little there, and then that's it. It's one of the most infuriating things about being a Halo fanboy is that there's so many books in between games that do not affect the books in any way. It's kind of like what Disney's doing with Star Wars right now, where now they're like, oh, God, going back. It's like, oh, no, you know, Snoke was a thing during Empire Strikes Back, and he was planned because we need you to really like this. Like, just stop. If it doesn't affect on screen, why are you bothering? Not even going to comment. You don't want to get me started with Star Wars. <laughs> <laughs> nope. We'll be here for an hour talking about it. <laughs> so I guess to kind of get us off of our bashing rent, because now we've um, gotten excited and bashed Halo. We bashed the hell out of Nintendo. Um, Grand Theft Auto Trilogy did get a final retail price. It is going to be $59.99, not $69 like we were thinking. Along with some kind of weird exclusives. Um, on November, November 11th, the same day as the digital release, you can get San Andreas Remastered on Game Pass, but on PlayStation Now, you can get GTA 3 Remastered, but you have to wait until December 7th when the physical release comes out. It's 
Kind of weird to me. Uh, have there ever been any major releases that you can think of where we got a digital release one day and then almost a whole month later, then we got a physical release? No, but Microsoft has the money and they can make that happen. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. They must have spent this shit ton of money to get that deal. Now, for Vice City, I don't think anybody's getting that. No, nobody's got an exclusive on that one. Yeah, I think the only way you're going to get that is in the trilogy pack or if they sell it individually, like if they sell each game t- for 20 bucks, which I think they're going to do that. Did they announce something like that? I-, I assume it has to be there because you have the single download on each of those services for three and San Andreas, so they must be charging hmm. for them separately. Maybe. I know I didn't think see anything of it. The only thing that I was able to find was that... um. San Andreas is going to be on Game Pass, and 3 is going to be on PlayStation Now, one's with the digital release, one's with the physical release. Um, it would make sense to me if they released them separately for $20 a pop, but I don't get to make those decisions. So, <laughs> But speaking of Game Pass, and number four on our list, in November, it's kind of stacked for games that are going to be coming. I think it was 13 new additions to Game Pass, and just a few honorable mentions. On November 9th, you get Forza Horizon 5. Um, November 11th, you get the 10th anniversary of Skyrim Edition, which is going to give you um, a free next-gen upgrade, as well as a few new features from Creation Club, uh, one of which is going to be able to go fishing, so that's actually kind of cool. Um, and then on November 18th, you get uh, Microsoft Flight Simulator is getting a free um, Game of the Year edition announced which is actually going to get you access to the F-18 from Top Gun ahead of the Top Gun pack, which I thought was kind of cool. And then one of me and Jock's favorite games, um, It Takes Two, is also coming, but I did not put down when that game is coming to Game Pass. And then just as an honorable mention, it's not in November, but on December 14th, we are getting the console version for Among Us on Xbox. Oh, yeah, that's right. Among Us. I forgot about that. Yeah, I really want to play that. It's a lot of fun. I have been dying to play with a full lobby of people I actually know because it becomes a whole different mental game when you have an idea as the person you know and how they would play. Like, for example, I would probably vote you as an imposter every fucking time because I would not trust you at all. I'm going to act the same way every time. You're never going to know. I'm going to be like, come on, bud. We got to go this way. Come on. Come on. I'll show you the way. Right, I'd be Stab. like, I need, I need a buddy, I need an adult, I'm not going anywhere alone with this person. I, I, we probably don't have to mention this, but I'll just throw it out there anyway. December 8th, Halo Infinite will be on Game Pass. I'll just throw that out there. Yes. Most of you who are listening know that, but just want to make sure. Now, for some less than stellar news on the Xbox size, and number five on our inventory list, we got our Games with Gold. The only really good game that I saw on here is Moving Out. It's very much so like Overcooked. If you ever played those games, it'll be available um, actually as of yesterday, um, as we're recording this, along with Rocket Knight, which is a backwards compatible 360 game. And then on November 16th through the 15th, you get Kingdom of Two Crowns or Kingdom Two Crowns and Lego Batman 2. I don't know about you, but my wildest dreams, I could not have guessed this lineup if my life depended on it. It's such an underwhelming um, collection of titles to me. It's just not surprising anymore with Xbox. Games with Gold is just, eh, we got some shit over here, we'll throw it in there. All right, you can have that. Game Pass kind of disrupts Games with Gold handouts. But Game Pass, 
doesn't have a lot of 360 games. So if you're not going to give us good Xbox One games and the games with gold offerings, give us old 360 classics. Give us a bunch of them, like the yeah. real good ones. I'm not saying Lego Batman 2 isn't good. It, it's fine. But come on. Like, yeah. There's a massive library we can pick from here. Right. I mean, if it wasn't for EA Originals, uh, I'm not EA Originals, but for EA games, I mean, like you said, there's really no catalog for 360 games on Game Pass at all. Nope. And with all of their first party stuff already there, it just it makes it so much harder to get a good announcement for games with gold. Now, on the flip side of that, for number six, we got our PlayStation Plus games as well. And this was a hell of an announcement. We got six titles total. Um, on the PS5 and 4 side, we got Knockout City, which is essentially dodgeball and urban maps. It sounds cool, but it's not fun. I played it on the Xbox. Oh, you did play it. A while back. Yeah, it feels like shit to me. It looked like shit. I'm not going to lie. I mean, I'm sorry if you worked on that game. It sounds like a cool idea on paper. It just looks like you missed the mark a little bit. As I sit in my um, office with all my collectibles on high and judge the shit out of your game that you worked really hard on. <laughs> um, <laughs> the next <sighs> game we uh, that we got on the PS4 and PS5 side is First Class Trouble, which we also saw a lot of in our state of play in the past week, which is, um, speaking of Among Us, it's a flat out Among Us ripoff. But I will say this, it looks like they actually tried to put a unique spin on it Unlike Fortnite's version where they blatantly copied and pasted the game. Uh, Mike, are mm. you excited for this game at all? Not really, but that doesn't mean I'm not going to like it. I could play it and I'm like, oh, well, man, I love this. I can't stop. I can't stop. I got to keep playing it. Uh, yeah, it's, it's just there's just so many games coming out and games I have on my plate. It's just not high up there. Like Among Us is a quick in and out game. This one yeah. just seems more complicated and more in depth and that's not a bad thing it's just among us is fine for me just something simple yeah. you know this one seems like it's going to cater to that audience that maybe just wants something a little bit more than among us kind of like an audience that sees a 2d side scrolling game and says oh this is amazing and then like let's make it 3d and just changes the entire way the game plays like sonic or something like that nobody really <laughs> was asking for this but hey it's made we'll see where it goes um, the cool thing about this game, though, is that this is actually the day it comes out. So it is a game that is released tomorrow, and you get it tomorrow. Sony's been doing this every month for for a while now. Hell let loose last month. And, oh, speaking of that, I played a little of it with Jacques. Yeah? He loves it. And I was shocked. I'm like, I thought you'd hate this game. <laughs> I thought it was like <laughs> one match. I thought you were going to delete it and be done with it. But no, he's really into it. That is really encouraging because I just got the notification, I think it was two nights ago, that it's on my Steam wish list because I don't have a PS5, but it just dropped down to 30 bucks. So if it stays on sale by the time I get paid again, I might scoop it up. Our last game that is on the PS4 and PS5 side um, is Kingdoms of MLR Re-Reckoning. I didn't play the original or the uh, remake. Mike, did you play it? No, but I hear it's a good game. It, that's what I've heard. Um, I've looked it up. Um, I actually looked up trailers and gameplay for all of these games because some of them I was like, I don't know what this is. It looks, I don't know, for some reason it gave me Fable vibes, but without some of the RPG elements of like interacting. But I also have friends that have played it and said it's phenomenal and that I need to give it a shot. So, I mean, with it being free, we'll see. 
Um, now, other three games that we're getting are all VR titles, and there are two of these that I am super stoked about. The first one is The Persistence, which is a sci-fi uh, survival horror game in VR. When I looked at it, I got almost Doom 3 and Dead Space vibes, but in VR, and I mm. can't wait. Um, the next one is Walking Dead Saints and Sinners. I mean, it's a Walking Dead game in VR that pretty much explains itself. The last one, um, let's see, where is it? It's on my list here. Do, 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 do. It's called Until You Fall, uh, which is a sword fighting game which has you attacking and blocking blows in a fantasy neon world with a synthwave soundtrack. Um, you get these weird screen prompts that kind of tell you where to put your sword to block, what direction to swing. There was an old game that I remember seeing on my old iPod Touch that seemed to kind of do the exact same mechanic, telling you which way to swipe, which way to duck. Um, seems like it's more of that just in VR. Um, if that's hmm. something you're excited for, it's going to be free if you were one of the few people that bought a VR. I'm definitely going to add these to my library because next year I'm very interested in the PlayStation VR 2. Yes. I think that's when it's supposed to come out. I know that they haven't done the official announcement for it yet. I know they mentioned it, but we haven't seen the unit or anything like that. Just the controllers. But uh, yeah, so I'm adding all of these VR games to my library. I'm like, yeah, keep giving them to me. Absolutely. I mean, I bought a PSVR, and I will honestly tell you, I've had a lot of fun with it. Hell, you know what? I'll, I'll say this. I would have bought the VR if Beat Saber was the only game that was on there, because that has actually been a party game in my house. Um, it's actually a really good way to get some cardio in with more and more tracks that they add. I mean, the value for it just keeps building, so I mean... By all means, if they release a PSVR 2, and from what we've seen of the patents so far, it really does seem like it's going to be a better product than what we already have. So I'm fully on board. If it is an updated version, when I get my PS5, I will more than likely buy another one. And I can honestly say my favorite game is Star Wars Squadrons in VR because a buddy of mine got me a flight stick um, for Ace Combat 7 when it came Ooh. out. And it works with VR and Squadrons. So there is nothing quite like getting in my recliner, putting on the headset, and then strapping into an X-Wing and going out and playing online. It's a whole different experience. We just need to make you a cockpit with all of the controls and everything. I have I legit <laughs> dreamt of this. Like, I, I really want to build one and, like, dedicate everything to, like, a closed environment just so I could do this. Oh, man. Sadly, I don't have the time or the money to do that. Hmm. Recliner works. We're going to move on a little bit because we are, uh, we're already getting towards the hour mark and we still haven't even hit the, uh, the main topic of our show. So we're going to speed through some of these. Number seven, we got a trailer for the Uncharted movie. And as a result, Nathan Fillion is trending on Twitter. <laughs> Mike, your thoughts, sir. Let me think about this. <laughs> okay it's not bad it's no? not a bad trailer no it's not a bad trailer like no hear me out okay for a movie just a movie don't get the uncharted license out of your brain it wasn't a bad trailer but it being uncharted eh, I, I i don't see nathan drake and tom holland i just i don't see no. it tom holland is tom holland he's one of those actors that kind of plays himself it's like Jesse yeah. Eisenberg, uh, Woody Allen. It's kind of like that, too. Yep. Now, Tom Holland's great as Spider-Man. I think he's 
mm-hmm. pretty good. He's a geeky, and he, I mean, he acts like Peter Parker's character, and I mean, it's perfect. Works works fine with that. I don't see Nathan there. He kind of yeah. looks like him. He doesn't have the height. He's not really old enough. I'm not saying he can't do a young Drake, but then no, don't even get me started with Sully. Yeah. Don't even get me started with Sully. That's not Sully. Mark Wahlberg is not Sully. He looks like nothing like him. the worst possible choice they could have made. He was the original Nathan Drake. Because this movie's been in development for years, oh, yeah. years, years, years. It's been and, in development hell. Yeah. He was supposed to play Nathan Drake many years ago. So it's kind of strange he's still on the project and playing a different character. And right. it's funny. When you look at Mark Wahlberg, you can kind of see Nathan Drake in there a little bit. At least he looks more like Nathan Drake than Tom Holland. At least in my oh, opinion. yeah, I'll give you that. I'm not saying I want Mark Wahlberg to be Nathan Drake, but if you came up to me and said, hey, Mike, it's either Mark Wahlberg or Tom Holland. One of these guys have to play Nathan Drake. Who are you going to pick? I'm going to go with Wahlberg. I'll say that. Okay, so I have multiple problems with this trailer. Apart from casting choices aside, um, I don't see Mark Wahlberg being the best choice for Sully at all. Because me personally, he plays the same character in every single one of his movies. And he seems like he's doing it again. He looks like the guy from the Italian job, the straight up the way that he meets Nathan. Like, and that's the other thing I have a problem with it. They actually changed the story of how Nathan Drake and Sully meet. In Uncharted 3, he was trying to pickpocket Sully and he caught him. Here he meets him as a bartender. So that bothered me. There's multiple parts from other games that are popping up in this trailer as fan service. Yeah, Uncharted 3 and 4 just mixed together. Yeah, it's just, I mean, it's, I I don't see how the Sony logo goes on this movie. Like, they okayed all of this and said, this is an Uncharted movie. When I first heard Tom Holland was playing a young Nathan Drake, I was like, okay, I can actually, I can, I can deal with that. But it seems more like they tried to force older Nathan into Tom Holland. And it doesn't work. When I'm watching him, I think it's just too close to Spider-Man, so I'm, I'm watching Peter Parker. Yeah, exactly. And I, f- yeah. I feel this on the web. Siri, will you shut up? Siri, come on, we're trying to do a podcast here. Th- does she have something to say about the trailer? No? Okay, then shut up. <laughs> <laughs> um but I think honestly what may have happened is just, you know, Sony's working with um Tom Holland right now in Spider-Man, they're like, "Hey, we're working on Uncharted and for whatever reason like people seem to like Tom as Spider-Man." We think he'll bring a crowd for the Uncharted movie, which has been in development hell. We just want to get it out. We want to be done with it. And that's how we're going to get what we're going to get. I don't think that this movie is going to do video game movies any bit of service at all. I think it's going to flop. I think it's going to flop harder than Assassin's Creed did. Well, I don't know about that. I'm not going to go that far. That was pretty bad, that movie. I'm going to go that far. Oh, Oh god, the I hope fact you're wrong. That, <laughs> no, the fact that the two main characters act nothing like their video game like Tom Holland looks like he's cosplaying as Nathan Drake. Yeah, pretty much. I mean he's wearing the Uncharted 3 outfit. He does not wear the same outfit in all four Uncharted games. And you put him <laughs> in the Uncharted 3 outfit. You should have put him in a completely different thing. But anyway, I said we were gonna speed through these. Um I have bad feelings about it. Mike, you don't seem like you have the best feelings about it. 
<laughs> we're going to move on to number eight. And that is that Deathloop received a permanent price drop. I believe it now you said it was dropping down to $39.99. You've played Deathloop. Are you surprised by this at all? No. I said this a, f- a few months ago. Well, not a few months ago. A couple of weeks ago. I don't think it's selling well. I was like, nobody's really talking about it anymore. It just died. Like, the conversation yeah. surrounding it was just, where'd it go? Where'd it go? I don't see it anymore. Yeah. I just don't think it's that good. I mean, it is good. It's a good game, but I don't think it's excellent or a masterpiece. Like, like where are you guys? Like, why are right. you saying this about the game? Yeah. Very overrated. Just I mean, I'm kind of right overrated. there with you. I, I can't imagine a game that I have absolutely zero interest in winning any kind of game of the year. From what I've seen of this game, I'm not surprised that it's already got a price drop, um, other than the fact that it's made by Bethesda. Actually, no, I'm sorry. That's why I'm not surprised. The fact that it's published by Bethesda, because it seems like they are cursed to get instant price drops. <laughs> Number nine is a game that actually is still holding its own. Uh, Returnal 2.0 is launched with two big features, the ability to pause your cycle as well as photo mode. Um, now, I don't have a PS5. Mike, you've been a pretty big advocate for this game. Um, how big of a deal is it that you're able to pause your cycle in this game? Huge. It's massive. Uh, I beat the game the original way it was intended, and it's really freaking hard. Most people can't do it. I actually destroyed that game. I'm not trying to gloat here or trying to like, <laughs> say I'm so good at video games, but no, I really did kick that game's ass. It's just I'm really good at shooters. And I've been asking for a Dark Souls kind of shooter for so many years. They finally gave me one. And I love that game. They really needed that save state. It's just brutal. If you get halfway through the biomes and then you got to go all the way back. So would you say it was kind of added just to kind of curve the difficulty for more casual players? Yeah, definitely. Okay. Well, cool. I, that's still one game that I definitely plan on playing um, when I get my PS5. Um, I actually am a pretty big fan of Gwyneth. Uh, wow, I cannot say her name. Um, Gwyneth and Christie. From what I've heard of her as an actual person, she's really down to earth. She's really cool. And the fact that she's in a game, I love to play it, especially from what I've heard from it or heard about it. Um, just gameplay wise, it sounds super interesting. But moving on to number 10, CD Projekt Red is in the news again. Um, for some of the same stuff that they've been in the news for in the past. Uh, we're still in development hell, because apparently that's going to be the term um, of the week for this podcast. What was it? Witcher and Cyberpunk. Next-gen releases, both delayed, um, along with all of the updates, DLC, and improvements for Cyberpunk 2077. So all that free DLC we were supposed to have by now, you better wait till next year. Are you shocked by this at all? No, no. These guys just completely dropped the ball with this game ever since it launched. It was a nightmare on PS4 and and Xbox One, and it's very buggy on the PC, but it's, you know, the the best version of it out there. And when it comes to the next gen, or I I should say current gen versions now, when those come out, I'm still going to wait and hear what everybody has to say about them. Because they yeah. could launch with a thousand issues. I don't want my system to go through hell to play that game. Because no. if you try playing the PS4 version on your PS5, your PS5 will crash a lot. A lot of people have oh, reported wow. that they've had 10 hard crashes throughout their entire playthrough. I'm like, I'm not doing that. I'm not going to put my PS5 through all of that tension and stress. 
so I, yeah, this game is just a colossal disappointment for the video game industry. It's amazing to me how fast CD Projekt Red went from being one of the like crowd favorite developers to being the biggest villain that we've seen in quite a while, all because exec said get the game out now and they released such a broken version now ashley went through it she beat it on her ps4 i got 80 percent through it i'm sorry i actually i can go boot up my ps4 re-download it and probably beat it by tonight if i wanted to i'm right there at the end but i just i ran out of gas i have no desire to go back through it i have to ask yeah did you guys experience crazy issues Actually, nothing quite to the degree that people were making it out to be. You know why? Why is that? Every person who plays this game experiences different glitches. Some say, hey, I didn't really have that many issues. And then the next person can play it on a different system and have a bug fest up the ass. Yep. This game is completely random. So you never know what you're going to get when you play it. and That's a huge problem. Yeah, very much so. I mean, I only had one, no, I'm sorry, I had two um, game crashing bugs. One was a blue screen of death bug, um, where my character would come down some stairs, I would get through a cutscene, get through a dialogue choice, and it's a part where your car is supposed to, like, come up to you, um, because it just got a repairs or something like that, and as soon as you guys have the car, the whole game crashed. (laughs) Um, The second one was just a classic bug where somebody's supposed to follow you, and for whatever reason, the NPC is stuck. Just, they won't progress with you. Um, those are the only two bugs that I found, but yeah, I mean, like you said, everybody's got different stuff. My brother-in-law played it on PC. He had plenty of bugs, and he was shocked that I didn't have um, as many issues as I said that I had on PS4 when he was running into issues on PC. So, I really hope they get back on the ball. I hope that their next outing is much better. I'm still a fan of Project Red, um, it just it sucks to see that they're going through this because higher up said get the game out now. Don't tell people what's going on. So they set their reputation on fire. Yeah, they just burned it to a crisp. I don't know if they can get it back. I I mean, it'll take a long time for them to get it back. I should say that if they can. If EA can start to repair their reputation, I'm sure they can, but it's definitely going to take a while because I think everybody's going to have a bad taste in their mouth for some time to come. But number 11 on our list, A Quiet Place is actually getting a single-player story driven horror adventure game, and it's coming next year. I love the idea of this. I'm really not sure what to think of this other than I like the idea, but I have no faith that it's going to be any good. That reminds me. I gotta watch the second movie. I do too. I've only seen the first one. And I love that movie. Oh yeah, absolutely. I can picture so many mechanics that would be amazing in a game like that. But the fact that the turnaround time is so quick from an announcement that nobody knew this was coming. I'll wait until I see more to make a full judgment. I I have very low expectations for what I see when I get to see it. Our second to last story, number 12, Amy Hennig and Skydance's unannounced game is a Marvel project. I don't know about you. I'm kind of getting burnt out a little bit on Marvel. It seems like Marvel is everywhere at this point. Yeah. With movies. Yeah. 
I'm not there with the games yet. I don't think there's a ton of Marvel games out there where it feels, oh man, this is too much now. We haven't quite hit gotcha. that point yet in the gaming industry. I'm sure we'll get there. I think the reason I'm getting there is because, I mean, we had Marvel Spider-Man, we had Miles Morales, we had Avengers, and now we have Spider-Man 2 announced, we have Wolverine announced. Guardians of the Galaxy. We had Guardians of the Galaxy, and now we have another unannounced Marvel game. So when I'm just thinking about all of these, and these these aren't really spaced that far apart. It seems like we're getting two to three Marvel stories a year at this point. It's what, it's what it feels like to me. Now, I have no idea what this Marvel project can be, but with Wolverine getting his own game, Spider-Man's already killing it with Insomniac, I don't know what Marvel game could be coming out unless it's going to be another Avengers-level game. Oh, yeah, we also had Iron Man VR. Like, what's left at this point? X-Men. I think it's going to be just a straight-up X-Men game. I know there's a Wolverine game coming, but we haven't had an X-Men game in God knows how long. What does that to see? Because, I mean, there's it doesn't seem like there's a whole lot of hype behind X-Men at this point. Wolverine is his own hype train, so anytime you throw out Wolverine, people are going to get excited. But when you slap X-Men on it, I feel like you're like, okay, so we have Days of Futures Past, we have this entire convoluted Fox X-Men universe, and then you had New Mutants that was a thing, and then it's not a thing, and nobody cares about it, so... I would love to see that franchise get rehyped, but I mean, we'll see what it is. Which brings us to our last story, and this is actually the topic of our show. PlayStation had their state of play. Now, Mike, you and I talked about it a little bit. We're kind of on opposite ends of the uh the spectrum on this, but Jacques has also thrown in his two cents so i'm very curious to see what you guys have to say before i present uh, my feelings on it all right i'm gonna give you jacques thoughts first okay because it's very long <laughs> i want to get it over with no i'm just kidding no he, he has uh some interesting points here so i'm quoting jacques now hello fellow gamers mike asked me to write one sentence about the recent state of play but I like to write, and as you all know, I can be wordy. So this is the result. Regardless of your feelings about this event, the general consensus was it was not an exciting presentation. Despite Sony's best efforts to telegraph fan expectations, there seems to exist a disconnect between what Sony presents at these showcases and what fans want to see. But only some of the time. Why is that? Comes down to four things. Number one conditioning number two the open-ended nature of state of play number three preference and four overexposure for years we have been conditioned to expect mind-blowing reveals anytime a publisher announces an event thanks in large part to e3 the gaming industry's premier extravaganza therein lies the problem e3 is a shell of its former self the method in which games are showcased has evolved beyond one annual mega event. This shift was a gradual one until it was expedited by the pandemic. Since we could no longer have big indoor events with crowds of people screaming their heads off, organizers had to get crafty. So we began seeing smaller virtual presentations spread throughout the year. 
Now you're probably saying, hey Jacques, what about the other big shows like Gamescom and Tokyo Game Show? Well, as grand as they may be within the industry, they never reach the ambiguous importance of E3. Jeff Keighley's Video Game Awards is the closest thing to heyday of E3. To the heyday of E3. Where each new segment feels like opening a present on Christmas. We are only one year into a new generation of consoles, and Sony is still top dog. This puts an immense amount of pressure on them. Especially with Xbox Game Pass breathing down their neck. PlayStation fans are understandably eager to see what Sony has up their sleeves. We know sequels to heavy hitters like Horizon, God of War, and Spider-Man are on the way, but for now, there isn't much more to show beyond what has already been shown recently. So we lie in wait. Let's be clear, Sony has never defined state of play as only for big reveals. Their objective is quite literally in the title. It is the state of PlayStation. That encompasses the entire ecosystem. As I've alluded to in the opening of this opinion piece, Sony is fully aware of the unrealistic expectations placed on them and have taken direct measures to abate the hype by announcing the intent of each show beforehand. The simplest explanation as to why many consider this the worst state of play thus far, hyperball aside, is preference. PlayStation has earned renown by creating the highest quality triple-A games in the world. Above all else, this is what the majority of fans want from Sony. It doesn't help that Sony has come under fire in recent years for not promoting indies as heavily as they once did. They know where their bread is made. However, in recent months, Sony has made a concerted effort to highlight indies more. This state of play is another result of that push, and a sea of third-party focused titles Little Devil Inside, an indie title from developer Neostream Interactive, was given the main event spotlight. While I appreciate Sony's renewed dedication to indies, we just had a huge PlayStation showcase less than two months ago, which gave us exactly what we wanted and then some. We blew our load, and now they're trying to give us a hand job during their factory period. It's hard to get excited. <laughs> Overexposure is a thing. Just ask Dane Cook. Who is that, you ask? Exactly my point. There was a time in the early to mid-aughts when he was the biggest comedian on the planet. He had best-selling comedy albums. He was in romantic comedies with all the Jessicas. And then people turned on him, and he dropped off the face of the earth. The first half of 21 was spent ruminating on why Sony has been so silent. Where are the big games? What is their answer to Xbox Game Pass? When will the PS5 shortage end? Since July, we've had two state of plays and one substantial PS5 showcase. Sony has answered the big games question. It's time they go away for a while until they can answer the other questions. Thanks for reading this, Mike. While I have control over your mouth, I just like to say, <laughs> I'm Mike Pascalicchio. Go fuck yourself, San Diego. <laughs> now, the short version of this... <laughs> is they just had a state of play and they set the bar so high. Now, this is my opinion now. They set the bar so damn high. The fans expect that now because you, you, you blew mm -hmm. us with Knights of Republic and 
uh, all the other shit, the Spider-Man 2, Wolverine, and a bunch of other games. And you ended it on a high note. Everyone was saying, wow, that was great. This should be the last one for the year. And then next year, it'd be early in the year, they can do another one. But then less than two months later, they toss out this 18-minute thing. Now, none of the games they showed there was bad. Right. The only one I didn't care for was the first one, that, that freaking Fortnite Battle Royale, whatever the hell that shit was. I, I didn't care for that. But everything else they showed was great. Yeah. It's just not the place for it. I think this stuff could have been just rolled out on the PlayStation YouTube channel. Here's a few videos. Check them out. Enjoy. Have a PlayStation blog. I, for, for me personally, I think State of Play should be a big event. They should only do it maybe like four times a year. When you have a lot of stuff to say, including these games, you can throw them in there too. But if you have a ton of shit to talk about, like the PlayStation VR 2, new PS5 games that are coming from first party and third party, then you should do one. I don't need these 18-minute little things here. You know, don't, don't waste my time. I'm not trying to downplay the stuff that was shown. It's just... It just wasn't necessary. You don't want to, like announce a stage for a huge sports car and then show like a VW bug or something like that. <laughs> uh, now, this is just my counter argument to that. I love it when, let's just put it like this. Everybody loves when it's like Christmas morning and like every present that you open is just a win after a win after a win, like the state of play that we had two months ago. But, I do think that there is a stage out there for some of these indie games, and I appreciate the fact that they're willing to set time aside to give the limelight to some of these um, less popular games. So I think maybe the reason why I enjoyed it is because I knew it existed, but after the one that we had two months ago, I knew it was. there's no way it was going to come close to what we had. At the very most, we may have gotten like a Bloodborne remastered announcement. Um, even though they said it's gonna be third party, that's about as close as we could get to even getting close to that. So when I was watching it, I went into this fully expecting to see a lot of games that for the majority of the time I wasn't gonna care about. But I was surprised by a few gems in there. Uh, first class trouble sounded interesting, King of Fighters looked really good. And then Little Devil Inside, I'm super excited for that game to come out. So if we don't do it on a state of play, my question is, what stage do we put it on to where we can guarantee that the community is actually going to give some of these games the time of day? Because there have been plenty of times that I've met people that are like just your Call of Duty audience, that's all they play. Or they have games that just are not in their wheel of content that they like to consume, but then they get a glimpse of something uh, from one of these events that actually just, like just snags their interest, and then it just opens up that spectrum just a little bit more. So for me, I think it's perfectly fine to put it in a state of play, um, especially in this formula, because it guarantees that you're going to expose more people to these types of games and actually give some of these indie developers a chance. Because I'll go ahead and say, I mean, most game or most gamers aren't like you, me, or Jacques, um, or Ash, where you appreciate the art for a game or 
appreciate a game for trying something different. It's like, if it doesn't grab you immediately, just, oh well. So, for me, I'm perfectly okay with them being on this stage. I think as a consumer, it's just, I think Jacques hit the nail on the head. It's going to take some conditioning on our part to learn that not every event is going to be an E3 or Gamescom or Tokyo Game Show style event and that we just need to curb our expectations for more bite-sized chunks of news as opposed to getting this whopping um, like Christmas morning style video. But that's my two cents on it. I respect that. That's a good answer. I just... I want to see that stuff in state of play. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying I, I'm not saying I want that shit out. Give me the, the big, big stuff. I just right. think they should have one big show that shows it all and then go away. I don't need to see you like every month. State of play. I don't need to see you every month. So it sounds like more so like what you would prefer is like, we, I think it was a, was it PSX back in the day? Yes. Where you just have Sony have their event and that's, Everything. That's all their announcements. Anything after that is just little trailers here and there. Yeah. Actually, I think that would probably solve some of the issues. But I think mm-hmm. also it comes down to every first party manufacturer is still trying to figure out, hey, in a uh, post-COVID world where E3 is kind of on its way out the door, how do we get our like big our big events out the door like this? Do we do it in like little chunks like Nintendo Direct? Because everybody praises Nintendo Direct, but even Nintendo Direct gets a lot of shit wrong. They'll say, hey, we're going to focus on third-party stuff. And then the whole event is nothing but third-party. And at the very end, like, wait, we've got one more announcement for you. And then they show, like, Legend of Zelda 2. And you're like, this is not third-party. Like, what the fuck are you doing? You know how you get those games good exposure? How's that? Like I said before, if they had just four of these a year, and... You get all the Call of Duty people, you get all those guys who are looking for the big games. They're all going to show up at that event if they know that stuff's going to be there. And then you stick the indie games in there. So you got a massive viewership. A lot of people are looking at it. And that's how you get more eyeballs on it. I think if you do these little tiny ones for just the indie games, people are going to be like, that's just just small stuff. I don't need to watch that. Or they'll, they'll, they'll... they might feel like, oh, they keep doing these little drops here and there. Yeah, it's right. whatever. Like, I'm not interested anymore. But if you make that big event, you're going to have a shit ton of people watching it. You're not wrong. I actually like the idea of doing it like four times a year. So like at the end of Q1, Q2, Q3, Q4, you, you have like Perfect. scheduled events. Yeah. I mean, that actually, I think that would probably be the best way because then everybody's got their own expectations of how to move forward and like it's almost it's got a roadmap you know what to expect you'll have something for everybody every time every single yeah. time you'll have you'll have something for the big the big games the small games and don't give me any concerts or show don't show me any trebuchets like what xbox did at theirs just show me the games don't get me any guys on a stage playing a flute in the most awkward way possible none of that <laughs> Exactly. But that's it. That's our show for this week. The only thing that's left is our surprise mechanics, which is where we go completely unscripted. Um, And we both bring something to the table that the other knows nothing about. Could be a game for us to play, trivia, or even a story. And we share it with you guys and each other. Um, So, Mike, I will let you go first. Good, sir. 
Oh boy. Andy, I'm sorry. Sorry I had to do oh, this. But it had to happen. We're going to play a game. <laughs> of course we are. It's called Five Minutes or Less. It's very simple. Well, it's very simple to understand, but it's going to be hard for you. <laughs> All right. You have five minutes or less, but you're probably going to need the full five minutes okay. to come up with a brand new Star Wars story from scratch. Yeah, I know. That's a lot of pressure, but I did it. Remember during your surprise mechanic? I do. In uh, episode 22, that Naughty Dog Star Wars game that I told you about? I came up with that in five minutes. Gotcha. Now, I didn't write it out in five minutes, but that idea <laughs> popped into my head in five minutes. Okay. It just goes to show you, you can come up with a Star Wars story quickly if you have a creative mind. Now, just pretend I'm sitting next to Kathleen Kennedy, which I'm not going to get into that, but let's, let's say I'm sitting next to <laughs> Kathleen Kennedy. Okay. And whoever... You came up to us and you said, you know, I want to write a Star Wars story. You know, I, I let's let's say you're you're a great writer. You have a m tons of experience. You've written amazing stories and you want to write one. And they're like, yeah, sure. We'll give you a shot. And then you're like, OK, just give me like 12 months and I'll get you something. And then they're like, no, no, no. Give us something now. You got five minutes. Wow. Us. What do you got, Indy? Now. Before we start the timer, uh, all new characters, existing characters, what's on the table, what's off the table? Because I can do this. It could be anything you want. Just a brand new story. Okay. I'm ready. Okay. You got five minutes. Go. All right. So picture this. You have a Star Wars squad-based game that's based entirely off the Rebels. It's a grueling campaign. You're straight up Brothers in Arms, Hell's Highway. Rebel Squad. Maybe five, maybe six guys. Oh, I'm sorry. I, I, let me stop you. I, I meant movie, not a game. Kathleen Kennedy would be like, no, I don't want to. I'm not, we're not talking about video games. Get out of here. <laughs> okay, fine. Take that. Flip it because you're the boss. You make all the rules. Unfortunately, you make bad rules. Um, <laughs> so we're going to flip that. It's going to be a movie based off of a squad. Uh, full gritty, talking about Band of Brothers, Black Hawk Down style, guerrilla warfare, Rebels Against the Empire. Um, you know what? It's going to be based on Coruscant during the height of the Imperial rule. You just have a small, you know, what? they're going to be the beginning of the resistance on Coruscant where they just take little hits here and there at the Empire, trying to get a rebel presence on Coruscant. And the entire movie is based around this group of rebels trying to get off the planet to join the main rebel line. And then mm -hmm. when they finally get out, they manage to figure out that the rebel base is on Hoth, and then the movie ends with Imperial Walkers showing up at Echo Base. You've been thinking about this, I can tell. No, actually, this was entirely <laughs> off the rip, I swear I'm to God. I'm just kidding, I'm just kidding. <laughs> that sounds good. You know what it reminds me of? Hmm. Uh, the canceled Star Wars movie. Well, the canceled version of that, of episode nine. Uh, I forget the director's name. Uh, he did Jurassic World. Was it Duel of the Fates? Yeah, Duel of the Fates. Yeah. There was a, a part of that story where, that takes place on Coruscant. It's completely messed up. I think I remember seeing that concept art, because I think R2 was supposed to die on Coruscant. Yep. So there was going to be a, a, a major conflict on that planet in that movie. And that sounded cool. But they canceled it. <laughs> but no, I like that. That's really good. 
Thank you. I probably got like a million other ideas that I could easily just spin out of nowhere. Because um, I've also said that, I mean, it's a game, but I still want a Republic Commando 2 that's more Spec Ops the Line, kind of forced to make questionable decisions kind of game. Ooh, I like that. That's really good. Now, here's the funny thing. My surprise mechanic is also Star Wars related. Oh, you gotta be shitting me. Thanks to our reveal trailer for the Book of Boba Fett today, uh, we're going to play Boba Fett True or False. I've put together a list of different events that have happened with Boba Fett in Legends and in Canon, and you have to tell me if they are true or if they are false. I love Boba Fett, and now you're going to embarrass me in front of the entire... Boundless Gamers community. I'm going to get all this shit well, wrong. Well, <laughs> you, you definitely have plenty of time um, embarrassing Jacques on some of your trivia, so we'll, we'll yeah. see how well you do. It was about time I get something. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so for our first question, true or false, Boba Fett fought Luke Skywalker prior to Empire Strikes Back? False. That is actually true. Boba and Luke had a showdown where they fought each other down to a um, basically a standstill. And I want to say it was on Tatooine when Luke was going through Obi-Wan's belongings to continue his training on his own. Vader had hired Boba to find the pilot responsible for destroying the Death Star. And he shows up to Vader empty handed, which he knows is not a good thing to do for Vader. But when he shows back up to Vader, Vader asks him, did you bring him? He says, no. He said, well, why did you even bother coming here? He's like, I've got a name. He's like, what's the name? And he just tells him it was Skywalker. And then Vader doesn't say a word, and Vader pays him, and Boba Fett leaves. The next one, true or false, Boba Fett did actually have a rematch with Mace Windu. I'm going to say false. That one is actually true as well. Wow. <laughs> Boba Fett fought Mace Windu and almost got his ass kicked if uh, Chancellor Palpatine had not stopped them because this fight took place in Chancellor Palpatine's office while Mace was waiting for him to show up to a meeting and Boba Fett tried to assassinate Mace and it ended with Boba Fett trying to shoot Mace with a Kamino dart, which he snatched out of the air before it made impact, and then Chancellor Palpatine walked in and stopped the fight. See, my legacy knowledge is bad <laughs> when it comes to the original trilogy stuff. Thankfully, mine is amazing, because I am actually loving the fact that uh, you are 0 for 2 so far. Oh, uh, I hate you. Question number three. Dangar was actually Boba Fett's mentor when he was a child. I gotta go with false. I, that, I don't remember that at all. That is false. It was Aura Singh, and she ran with Bosk. Dangar didn't show up till later. Hmm. So you're one for three. Question number four. Boba Fett has always worn Beskar armor. False. It is false. Up until the Mandalorian, according to the visual guide for Attack of the Clones, Jango Fett's armor was a fake made of high-grade Durasteel. But it was retconned to make Jango a full-fledged member of Death Watch that fought in the Mandalorian Civil Wars. 
What's weird is there was a Dark Horse comic line that showed Django and the Mandalorians um, before Clone Wars came out, and then they retconned that comic series by saying uh, Django was not a Mandalorian, and then Mandalorian comes out, and then they make him Mandalorian again, and now his armor is Beskar, and it's just explained that uh, Django was like excommunicated from the Mandos along with all the other members of Death Watch. So that's why they say he was not a true Mandalorian. Oh, okay. That's why they say that. Okay. So they, they keep going back and forth as to whether or not uh, Boba and Django are Mandalorians. From what I understand, George Lucas was very adamant that Django was not to be a Mandalorian. Um, seems like Dave Filoni disagreed and has gone back and made him a Mandalorian again. Next one, let's see, you are, is it two for four? Yeah, that's right. In Legends, Boba Fett went on to become Mandalore. Yes, that's true. That is true. Boba Fett did go on to become Mandalore and actually played a pretty substantial role in the fight against the Yusong Vong. So, uh, we're three for five. You're back in the positive. Number six, Boba Fett trained one of Han Solo's children on how to fight Jedi and Force users. True. That is true. I will, I will give you a correct answer if you can tell me which one of his kids he trained. Shit, I don't know. I can't take there a guess. was Jaina, um, Jason, and Anakin. Jaina. It was Jaina, because Jaina went on to go fight Jason, who became Darth Cadus. Let's see, we got three more questions left. Boba Fett fell into the Sarlacc more than once. False. That is actually true. Really? There was okay. a second time after he had stripped his armor where a group of Jawas threw him back in the Sarlacc pit. <laughs> Poor Boba. <laughs> Boba Fett actually had a child. False. It is actually true. Mm. In the fight against the Yusong Vong, Boba Fett actually pairs up with his granddaughter and they do multiple missions together. And this is your last question. Boba, uh, Boba Fett actually had up to three different slave ships. So he had slave ones, two, and three. I'm going to say false. It is false. And I'm going to give you another chance to get a bonus point if you can tell me the actual number. Oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> <laughs> the actual number? Okay. I don't know, two. He actually had four slave ships. He had slaves one, two, three, and four. Wow. But I'm not going to make you lose a point for that. I'm just not going to give you a bonus point. Yeah, that would be bullshit if, you, if I lost the point for that. <laughs> Let's see. So we missed one, missed two, got that one, got that one. So that was two for four. Let's see. You did guess he was Mandalore, so you were three for five. You did get that Boba Fett trained one of Solo's kids, so that was six, so then you were, let's see, is that four for six? Um, you did get it wrong that he fell into the Sarflax, so that makes it four for seven. Missed that he had a kid, four for eight, and then you got 
the last one was false, so you were five for nine. I'll take it. That's good. Yeah, it's not too bad. I only knew like two or three of those, so. Oh, so the rest were guessed. Well, yeah, I was just guessing my ass off. Yeah. I figure 50-50 at least gave you some decent odds. That was good, though. That was good. I like that. Yeah, not bad. That is the end of our show. I actually successfully hosted the show. How does it feel? Were you nervous? I was a little nervous, yeah, but I also, uh, thankfully, I did some homework and I did type up an outline. So I had a decent guy to keep me on track because if I hadn't done that, I realized what a disaster this would have been. (laughs) Oh, you got to believe in yourself. One of the shows I hosted, I had no notes. The first one I did with you. uh, Well, the only notes I had were the news notes, I guess. Oh, okay. But after that, nothing. Just free-balled it. Huh. It's not easy. (laughs) No, it's not easy. No. Um, It definitely was... um, It was an experience going through and like tracking down a lot of the news, even though you sent me a lot of the articles. Mm Mm-hmm. Just checking on them, updating them, see if there's any new updates. It was actually a lot of fun um, to type everything up. So, yeah, I thoroughly enjoyed it. I am definitely willing to host again. Oh, of course. Uh, we're probably going to share the main host anyway, because I don't want to do every episode. <laughs> no, I could definitely understand not wanting to do it every time. I'm sure this was a really good episode. I mean, let's just hope there's no audio issues. <laughs> like When I go and yeah. edit the show, I'm like, oh, no. Indy, you're we couldn't hear you for half the episode. I mean, it could happen. It's possible. Oh yeah, no, I know it could. Uh, I've been watching uh, as I record. My volume seems to be going up and down depending on where I'm sitting and how I'm facing the mic. Right. And I think I may have figured out how I uh, did that audio trick the first time we recorded. Oh, but that's a lot of technical stuff that uh, nobody really cares about. No, only editors care about that shit. Exactly. Uh, So on that note, guys, we're going to head out for the night. Um, Again, my name is Indy. I'm Mike. And we are the Boundless Gamers, and we will catch you guys next time.